Hey Coraine, my name's Hannah. Each week I sit down with a township public servant or resident to talk about who they are and what they do to help the township function. This week I sit down with Assistant Administrator Jeff Weckbach. Join us as we talk about the many hats he wears day to day and how COVID-19 has affected the township. As always, I hope you enjoy listening to this week's episode of Hey Coraine. My name is Jeff Weckbach. I'm the Assistant Administrator with Coleraine Township. One of my favorite things about Coleraine is the Coleraine Park Nature Trail. So if you haven't been out to Coleraine Park, I mean that trail is just, it's gorgeous. It's a lot of fun too. So Why don't we, since you already brought up trails, have you checked out the Main Trail yet? Main Street Trail? Yeah, yeah, the Main Street Trail. So I got to tell you, the Main Street Trail was something that I was thrilled for us to do because you hear about all these different bike trails and residential connections and things like that and they're expensive to build and really all it took for us was to look at a map and say look all these pieces are together all these great assets are already connected and linked with sidewalks and trails and so with a little bit of signage and some pr i think uh it's really helped people realize that you could walk from clippard park all the way down to colrain high school and the ymca oh wow on sidewalks and trails i mean without having to you know get out in the road and walk in the grass or anything like that so that was kind of neat and uh i think what what do we say you know for the amount of money that we spent on that compared to some other communities it's it's finding a way to rub two pennies together to make something yeah, happen so turned a little into a lot in yeah. the long run I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out so let's start with in the beginning. Sure. So you kind of had a non-traditional education path. Do you so, want to go into that? Yeah, something like that. Um, I was lucky enough that when I was in high school, I was able to take some college credits, um, get some college coursework knocked out of the way. So I came in a little bit further along and uh, four majors, two minors, three degrees later, I graduated from undergrad. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah, and so while I was in undergrad though, um, I took the the mantra of rather than changing majors, I just added majors. So, you know, cause that's what people do for some reason. And uh, none of it was really making sense or like connecting. And then I was in an urban administration class and all these different facets of, you know, what I was learning all started to mesh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember there was a moment when I was thinking through this idea of something that could work. And then like a week later, we were talking about it. I'm going, okay, well, this is neat. Like clearly the brain juices work well in this space. And so yeah. that kind of led me to this career path. Do you think having that diverse education background helps with your thought process now in your role? Absolutely. Um, and it's funny because, you know, depending on the time of year, it's a different degree that I feel like I'm calling upon so Mm -hmm. you know philosophy is one of those things that I I don't know a lot of people know a lot about it but it really forces you to focus on logic and making sure that you're rationally thinking through something Um, you know economics requires you to really dive into data and get to know and to forecast and all those fun things criminal justice I mean you want to talk about policing I mean that that is the whole basis of that that whole educational path and then political science is knowing how elections work knowing how you know the the bureaucratic machine is supposed to function and operate and so yeah it's kind of neat to be able to pull from different 
different mm-hmm. sections at different times. It's interesting when you explain it like that. You can clearly see how your job is kind of a, an amalgamation sure. of all those thought processes. What really does your job incorporate or what is what is your day-to-day look sure. like? Sure, yeah. You've probably heard this from others, but uh, it is never the same thing. Um, I view my role as a lot of, um, you know, helping others in the organization to get their projects across the finish line, um, which is, I, I think, you know, a little ironic assistant administrator. It's really about assisting to make sure that the big picture stuff keeps moving, but also to mm-hmm. be able to take some some items off of others' plates. So if there's a fire that needs to be put out that, not not quite literally, I'm not going to go out there and put out a fire, but <laughs> if there's something small. Assisting chief cook. Right, right. Or... Not doing anything like that, but if there's a little thing, you know, to, you know, not run blockage but but get in there hopefully handle that issue so that then that person can focus on their bigger picture thing or Mm -hmm. if they've got a bigger picture project that just needs some extra hands and getting it done uh, they're trying to stay as far in the background as possible to just make sure that we're churning out the work that we need to be doing yeah keep the the machine running as best as possible right right for sure do you have any favorite projects or anything you're really proud of that you've been able to accomplish while you're here? Yeah, uh, well, we talked about the Main Street Trail a little earlier. Um, that was something that I thought was super exciting because I think I had just read a random article somewhere about some community that did something like that. And I said, well, why don't we do that? So it was nice to see mm-hmm. that go from idea to implementation. Um, you know, I've as soon as I got here, I started working on a bunch of our transparency projects. And so being able to get all of this robust data that our organization has had for 10 to 15 years and putting it out externally so other people can see and they can make their own assumptions about whether or not we're doing well or not, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can go online and you can see how quickly we respond to EMS calls or how, you know, how many potholes we fill or things like that. And if you don't believe we're doing as much as we should, now you have your own data set that you can use to showcase and hold us accountable. Yeah. Um, and then, where is that, if the listeners want to check it out, where is that available at? Sure. So you go to our website, colrain.org. Um, down at the bottom of the page, there's like five or six buttons. One of them says transparency. And when you click that, it takes you to this landing page with all kinds of good info. Um, the data sets are under... Um, think we call it data transparency which will then take you to another site called OpenGov that is sort mm-hmm. of the the data visualization platform and we have a lot of reports there um, on that transparency page there's you know all kinds of other things too so we try to put as many documents as we can that are relevant and ready for prime time out there um, we've got all of our agendas and minutes and and mm-hmm. boards and commission minutes and things like that out there and our policy book, our job descriptions, our organizational chart. I mean, we try to put as much as we can in that spot to make it a little more you know, consistent and, and easy for people to find it. Yeah, and just uh, putting in the forefront that thought that you guys are here for the residents. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we're here to make things easier for them and answer the questions and serve them how they want us to be served. So Exactly, but we, we skipped ahead a little. Let's go back. So what was your journey like to this position? Sure. Um, so I, in grad school or not grad school, undergrad, I had a class where I had to go interview somebody in my field that I was thinking about going into. And I was fortunate enough that Milton Dahoney, who was the city manager of Cincinnati at the time, hmm. was willing to take an hour out of his day to, to meet with me. And, uh, he's, 
you know, we asked the typical interview questions. What do you like? What do you not like? And everything that he said he didn't like about his job, I said, I actually kind of enjoy that, that aspect. So, I, yeah. you know, it sort of reaffirmed for me uh, that this might be something that I wanted to do. Um, in addition to that, throughout all my undergrad, I did a bunch of different internships. And I tell anybody who's an undergrad intern because you don't want to get in a career and think that that's what you want to do and find out once you're in the career that you don't mm-hmm. want to do it. And so I was able to weed out some different things. And then when I got to grad school, I got to intern directly in, you know, local government and local government administration. And yeah, it just, it was, it was a good fit. Yeah, it was, it was a great fit. And, you know, jump from Illinois back to the Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area, working at Hamilton County. And from Mm -hmm. there, uh, was able to come to Colerain. And And here you are, the rest of history. How long have you been here? Um, I've been at Colerain for two years. Yep. Pretty cool. So what is the, your favorite part of this job? Honestly, I think, you know, we've got some fantastic people, both mm-hmm. internally and externally. Um, the staff that's on board, they're an absolute joy to work with. They're all very caring about this community. They put a lot of time, effort, and energy in. And, mm-hmm. you know, there will be people that, you know, even – even though they've got all kinds of other things going at, on at home, you wouldn't necessarily know that. And they're coming in 110% every day. Um, but then beyond that, we've got a great citizenry. I mean, some of the neighborhood groups that we've worked with, some of the residents that come through our building, um, you know, it, it's natural to care about where you live, but they do. And they don't all just automatically get mad when you say, well, let's figure out how to do this together. You know, Mm -hmm. they actually embrace that concept. And so it's really great. And, you know, other places I've worked, you, you never have any resident interaction. And so you wonder, you know, what's the community doing? What are they thinking? What are they wanting? And so here you almost never have to question it because there are 60,000 residents and they're, they're engaged. Yeah. So you've kind of touched on a lot about collaboration, whether yeah. that be with your coworkers here, the citizens, or even other governments with kind of using other ideas like sure. the Main Street Trail. Sure. What is the role of collaboration in local government? Well, it has to be it because in everything, because when it comes to local government, there's been this mantra of do more with less. And the only way that you can do more with less is to find ways to do more together. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's collaborating with a community group on a cleanup day, or if it's collaborating with, you know, your peers to figure out what's the best way to handle our response to COVID, or if it's collaborating with, you know, others across the country to just give each other a hand or find out if they've got a program that's working for you that mm-hmm. you can try here. Um, and, and certainly in-house, you know, cross-departmentally, if you're in a silo, it's just not gonna. It's just not gonna work out well. And so, yeah. by breaking down those barriers and having your police department working with your code enforcement officials, you know you can get out there and actually help to make some of these nuisances get addressed or whatever else it might be. So, finding those little ways to to bridge the gaps is it's critical. Huge. Yeah, yeah. Colerain just won a, an award for, I believe, using something with the traffic device oh yeah 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 the traffic calming library so you know and that's all about that's something else that i have a lot of passion for in local government which is finding ways to do um, smart risk taking Mm -hmm. and so this program and project 
that was able to be stood up was a, a library of traffic calming devices that in theory, you know, as many communities in this area can share. And when you're sharing them, you're testing it for you. It may not be the best fit for Colerain, but it might work for Springdale or Springfield Township or you know, Green and, and realizing that if we all work together, we can find out things that work and then put the big dollars into implementation. Exactly. So. Put those permanent things. What is an example just for people listening of a traffic calming device? I okay. know we talked about yeah. the S shaped curve previously. Yeah. Well, um, it could be as simple as well, actually, you know, if you put up the right kind of signage that could be considered traffic calming. Mm-hmm. Um, you could consider a speed bump, a, a traffic calming device. You could consider, the chicane, which is something that, that Colerain tested not too long ago. So it's basically anything that calms people while they're driving. Actually, what's funny is there's some stories or studies that suggest trees are traffic hmm. calming. So by having street trees, you feel more pleasant because, you know, the greenery, the fresh air, all that sort of thing helps to just sort of calm you as you're driving down the road. That's fascinating. I guess I never really thought of trees. Or- yeah implementing nature into urban environments as a way to calm traffic yeah yeah so i mean it's teach their own but it's just ways to make people drive a little safer and smoother how has covid19 affected your role yeah i i think prior to covid19 we all knew that we had to be adaptable but once it hit we all really realized and embraced how adaptable we needed to truly be. And so, you know, what that meant was putting a bunch of new things in place to to be able to scale up or scale down, depending on how our community and our region is really dealing with the pandemic. It mm-hmm. required finding ways to ensure that all of our staff had the tools that if they needed to go home at a moment's notice. So, you know, if we had three or four people test positive, then we would need to send people home and and making sure that we had that infrastructure in place, which really then challenged mindsets. I think that there was always a mindset around if people are working from home, they're not actually going to be doing work. They're going to be off, you know, playing with their kid or doing this or that. And, mm-hmm. and when you look at some of our numbers, and this is why I'm glad we have these data dashboards, yeah. the productivity's stayed the same, if not improved in certain facets of the organization. So, you know, really forcing us to internally reflect and realize that we can always do better. Mm -hmm. I think I'm really curious coming out of this, the long-term effects we're going to see because of COVID-19. Is is there going to be a greater shift to working at home? I know Google has really taken a lead by giving grants out to their employees for working at home stations, but... It's, I don't know. It's something interesting that I don't think I going in necessarily saw as effect of the pandemic, yeah. but now it, it's looking more. And it's going to change the, the marketplace, too. I mean, rents for commercial properties, are you going to need as much office space anymore? So is there going to mm-hmm. be as much demand, um, you know, when it comes to local government? Governments across the country have really been faced with this challenge of how do I still provide this service even though I may not be able to interact face to face? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of communities have jumped on the online, you know, permitting. And that was something that we had in place, but we we did a soft rollout. And so, you know, we didn't advertise it really until the pandemic hit because we had to. Yeah. And and so lots of things like that that we all have to find ways to be able to interact, but safely from a distance. Mm-hmm. Do you think this pandemic has changed your guys' priority list at all? I don't know. That's actually a really good question because for me, I feel like 
you know, the, the priorities are to provide uh, a healthy, safe community. And I don't mm-hmm. know that necessarily the priority is going to change as much as how we achieve that is going to change. And yeah. so if we've all, or if we're all rowing in that same direction, it's just figuring out which row is going to help us get there faster and, and in the best way. That, yeah, I think that was an amazing, amazing answer. So you talked about um, your Coleraine Cares video, which is available on YouTube. Sure. Um, a lot of the administrators put out their mm-hmm. own little minute, minute and a half video. And you mentioned it's time to become a leader in yeah. the community during this pandemic. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, I think everybody has an opportunity to lead whether they realize it or not. And part of my philosophy is even if you are following, but you're following the right person and the right advice and the right guidance, you're leading by setting that example for others. Mm-hmm. That it, sometimes it is okay to do what's right. Um, and so, you know, if we're relying on, you know, the advice and guidance from a public health expert or, you know, somebody who has the specialized training and skill set, it, it is okay to lead by following. Or mm-hmm. if you've got a different way to lead that helps to support what we should all be doing, this is the time to do it. Yeah. And it could be as simple as, you know, knocking on your neighbor's door just to see how they're doing, see how they're holding up. You know, you knock, mm-hmm. they open the door, you take your step back, so you keep your six, <laughs> keep that feet. six feet. But, uh, you know, because one of the, the biggest travesties that I think we have in this country is when you've got a bunch of people who don't have someone to talk to. And mm-hmm. uh, that can wear on them. And then, you know, they get go down a path of, you know, what, what do I have? Yeah. And so just being a good neighbor is another great way to lead. So. Loneliness, I think, is definitely something that this pandemic has highlighted, especially yeah. how we take care of our, our most vulnerable who don't have that yeah. necessary, you know, someone who lives with them, especially elderly people. Right, and, right. And Zoom calls apparently have a toll on your mental health, too. I really? just saw something that said people aren't as happy because you're always looking at yourself in the bottom corner. So you're looking at yourself a lot more and, and you know, Maybe everybody's just a really hard critic of themselves, but I, I can definitely see that. I don't think as much as Zoom calls I think have helped during this pandemic, I don't think they're a, a proper replacement sure. for Yeah. In person dialogue. Exactly. You miss a lot of those uh nonverbal cues yes. when you're on Zoom. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's you know, being able to understand how to react and respond, you have to take in everything that the person is telling you and mm-hmm. just what their voices are saying. And, and maybe that's the downside to podcast is you don't necessarily see if I'm using hand gestures like I always am, but uh, you know, I promise they're all good hand gestures. <laughs> I think we share a passion of, I love research studies. Sure. So yeah. I read, I'm constantly reading yep. reports. Yeah, my family gives me grief about it. I've gotten books of useless facts because they say if, if a topic comes up, I always got something random and completely irrelevant to bring up about it. So No, no shame in that. I mean, it's okay to have passions that lay outside of your, your line of work. Yeah. Well, it helps to sort of separate yourself too. Mm-hmm. Because when you're, when you're in it and you're working so hard to make things happen, and if things don't always come out exactly how you want it to, that can be tough because you're pouring so much into it but you know to be able to have something that completely just is so far away that you just can turn it off and it's a nice way to yeah it is it's a nice mental vacation that's right and also i think you can great way to put it take one thing and apply it to another sure when you have those cross cross paths cross interests we'll refer to it as sure 
Yeah. What role has has research had with Coleraine lately? Yeah, I mean, basically, anytime you're trying to stand up a new program, you're you're going to want to dig in to see if it makes sense to do or not do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about the chicane earlier. If you just put that out there and didn't have any research around it to show if it's effective or not, or if it's worked in other parts of the country, then it's just you know this new thing that you just point to and say, look at that. But yeah. being able to have the data tied to it or to be able to show the studies in other parts of the country so that you know that it's worth the test um, mm-hmm. really helps to support the case because you know we could go, come in here tomorrow and say, well, we're going to do this, but you know it could be a very big failure if you haven't put any research or thought into it. And so yeah. when you're dealing with the taxpayer's dollars, you've got to really be conscientious about what you do and try to vet as much as possible Mm-hmm. whether or not it's going to work. Um, but not so much so that you get that paralysis by analysis syndrome or whatever it is. So, Yeah. Let's, let's say you get a grant, a fictional grant for yeah. $10,000. What would you apply that to? That's a great question. I know. I'm putting, I apologize. Yeah, I'm putting yeah, on the no, spot no, here. No, this that's wasn't good, a, a pre-sent question. So if I had a, a grant for ten k, what would I do with that? I think the hardest part about that is knowing, you know, what you could do with mm-hmm. it. Ironically enough, I think some of the work that, that we were doing in the past, um, you know, with our summer camps and things like that, were, were great for our community because we were offering opportunities for kids to have some shared learning experiences throughout the summer months, which they mm-hmm. may or may not have. Um, and so if there were ways to expand that so it could be more hours even so that it wasn't just a few hours a day or, you know, that and, and maybe 10K is like the perfect number because it's not enough to like build a new road or put in mm-hmm. a whole new stretch of sidewalk or something big and flashy. So, you know, you got to find something that's going to have a big impact, but on a, a low budget. And that may be one of those things that that you could yeah. do it on. I think the summer camp is a cool idea because you really I think it shows the willingness to invest in the future sure. rather than something that yeah. in the short come will look big and flashy and yeah. nice, but maybe something you don't see the, the impacts of truly until 10, 15 years down the line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If I think of something else, I'll, I'll just jump up and shout oh, yeah, it, right? Oh, yeah. What inspires you with your, your day-to-day work? Or do you have any like mottos or principles that you try to follow each day? Well, I... I try to be as much as possible a servant-based leader, servant-based leader, meaning that if I'm going to ask anybody to do something, I've got to be willing to do that also. And mm-hmm. uh, I try to model that, whether it's you know in a, a document that needs to be put together or going out into the field and looking at something or whatever that is, um, you know, as simple as stepping up to sit out in front of the trustee meeting and help out with the citizen address in this weird time where we were having to do it a little differently or whatever it might be. I hope that my staff feels like I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to ask them to do something if I wouldn't do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another fun little thing is I've got a whiteboard in my office and I've got one through four listed out and it's intentional because for me, this is how I think of my work product in my day is the residents are first. And, you know, that includes our elected officials and and different individuals like that. Our second is all of my direct reports. Mm -hmm. Third is then my boss. Um, 
maybe we shouldn't tell him that, but he's third. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll bleep that out. Yeah, right, right. And then uh, fourth is myself. So if there's something on the list that I want to do or that I've been just itching to get done or a project, mm-hmm. that's, that's at the bottom of the list. If I can't get through those first three, I don't get to my things. And so, you know, I hope that that not only resonates for me, but that others in the organization start thinking that way too because if we're all supporting the residents first but then supporting each other, I mean, just the stuff we can get done is going to be incredible. Exactly. Uh, it's very funny that you bring up service or um, being like a, I, I refer to it as being a servant to all because that's what sure. I've written a lot of grant proposals based on okay. that concept. Yeah. So, yeah. And just having respect for other people and their work, right. I think, is right. a central tenet to that. Yeah. And, and I mean, you never know, like, without putting on the other person's shoes. Mm-hmm. their entire background and, and all that sort of stuff. And so if you're always trying to focus on ways to help them, then it's not about what kind of baggage they may have or what kind of great things that they've done. It, it's about just helping people get the stuff done. Yeah, and what they can bring with their their background and different areas right. of knowledge they can have and make yeah. it work and get right. it done. Yeah. Is there any programs you want to highlight? Or? Things to call out, I, I mean... It probably is self-serving to call out the podcast, but I think that this is an awesome thing. Let's talk about the podcast because I haven't talked about it with anyone yet. Okay. How did it get started? Where was the idea for it come from? Well, I know I personally keep a list of ideas that I just, I mean, it's it's a pretty big list, but uh, I know I had it on there at one point and I've thought long about this, that just in the local government space, we all need to do a better job at telling the stories of not only who we are, but what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have friends who still look at me and say, Jeff, what do you do? Like, <laughs> you're talking about some police matter that just happened. What? This this makes no sense. Or, you yeah. know, you're talking about zoning? I, you know. And so, to me, that says that we've just got to do a better job at educating everybody on what government is. And mm-hmm. there's so much complexity to it and there's so many layers and you know in a township like in Hamilton County you know most residents probably don't know right off the bat if they're on a county or a township road all they know is they've got a pothole and they want it filled and so Mm -hmm. finding ways to tell those stories and get the message out and um, tell people more I think is just great for everybody. I think something I've really picked up on doing these episodes is that Going in, someone's title might be something. And yeah. then when I get to interviewing, what do they do on the day-to-day? Yes. There's 15 other things That's right. that actually falls under yes. them that aren't really related to that title. Right. Which gets back to the whole do more with less. And, and you know, I hope, you know, residents, whether it's in this community or their own community, realize that they've got passionate people working for them that just want to make it a better place. And mm-hmm. that spans all the roles, whether it's a police officer they're not out there to to penalize you. They're out there to keep the community safe and make sure that everybody can live as comfortably as possible. Um, A firefighter, you know, they're not going to pick and choose which houses (laughs) they're gonna put a fire out on. You call and they're coming. Uh, And and so, you know, we all care and and I think we all put our best foot forward because Mm -hmm. certainly when it comes to these types of roles and things like that, Almost all of us could go work in the private sector if we really wanted to, but we're not there because it's all about the people. Mm-hmm. Here to make it a better place and keep yeah. that transparent transparency going yeah, through it all. Yeah. yeah, as much as possible. Yeah. 
have any podcasts that were an inspiration to creating this? You know, there have been, uh, I mean, there are different, like, local government type of podcasts where they're geared around specific issues or specific programs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, GovLove is one that, uh, okay. the GovLove podcast, I think they do a great job at putting out and highlighting different innovative things across the country. And usually those episodes are a solid length that you're not either too short to know what's going on or too long that you get, get tired of it mm-hmm. halfway through. So yeah, that was, that was probably the first one I had heard. Yeah, I think when preparing for this, I listen to NPR has. I'm a oh yeah. I'm a public radio nerd. Yeah, I love NPR. I'm not. I'm a little ashamed of how much NPR I listen to. But. I, there's lots of great stuff on NPR, and what I've loved is that lately, even their articles that they post, they'll read the article to you too, so you don't even have to necessarily read it yes. if you don't feel like staring at a screen for five minutes i think when people think npr they think of like whispering okay into the yeah. microphone you know and these these long three hour pieces yeah but they well, really have some some amazing i don't want to use the word trendy because i think that diminishes the journalism that they're doing but these powerful pieces that yeah. are so relevant to day to day anyway well, that's my tangent well and they fit into local markets too they set aside space so that they could have like cincinnati edition yeah. or whatever the equivalent is in other parts of the country so exactly keeping they have a bunch of great local and you know, Ira Glass's biggest fan. If you would like to come on this podcast, <laughs> uh, we would happily have him. Yeah, if he wants to stop by Coleraine, I think we'd all be happy to have him here for a day, right? Exactly. This is my public plea for Ira Glass sure. to come on. Yeah. yeah I'm just going to shame him every episode. There you go. Yeah. Just find a way to you know throw his name out there, and eventually he'll show up. Exactly. So. He's not doing anything. <laughs> right, you know, he's right. not a busy guy. Yeah. Him and his Pulitzers, whatever. Yeah. What do you? What are you passionate about outside of city government? So and the people that that know me know that I have some very just like specific niches of things that I'm into, and um, I'm very into them. So uh, dinosaurs, animals, and like horror films and things like that are kind of things that like I'm all about. Okay. Um, I also occasionally will read sciencey type books for fun so Mm -hmm. not like um books about like aliens and things like that but books about like physics and stephen hawking and things like that i don't know why those things just appeal to me and i think it's probably because it is so far removed from what i do on a day-to-day basis that it's it's just mental vacation to get away from it yeah do you have a, a favorite horror film favorite horror film um so it it changes whenever I see one that is like just head and shoulders above others but there was one that I really liked uh, called Trick or Treat okay I thought that was a great one it was basically four separate stories that follow the typical slasher horror film and then they all converge at the end which is kind of neat so I won't spoil too much of that but you know the it changes day by day, week by week. Mm-hmm. I also love like those those horror films that are so bad intentionally. There is something about bad horror movies yes. that really And they know they're bad. Exactly. And they, embrace they play it. into the madness yes. of kinda I don't want to say Scream is a bad horror movie. Oh yeah. yeah. But Scream plays into that, that niche so it really well. does. And that's why it's a great horror film in general. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there was one that I watched recently, which combined another passion of mine, which was dinosaurs, and it was called Velocipaster. 
which was about this pastor who went to China and he found a dinosaur fossil, which then made him turn into a velociraptor. But it was so bad. Like, they didn't have a budget. You could tell mm-hmm. that they were using, like, legitimate, like, Halloween costumes to, to serve as their special effects. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that is it. Anything else you want to say at the end? No, I think this has been fun. And, and you know, hopefully we continue to do these and, and have these great stories for not only our residents, but others to just learn a little bit more about government. Hey, Corrine, you just listened to my interview with Assistant Administrator Jeff Weckbach. For more interviews like it, visit our Spotify or Apple Music page and be sure to like, subscribe, and rate us while there. If you have suggestions for interviews you would like to hear or topics you would like us to highlight, please reach out to us. We would love to get your input. And as always, I hope you have a wonderful day.